Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. This episode is a food focus on eggs for runners. So join us to find out why eggs are great to include in your runner's food plan and how they can help enhance your performance. Welcome to the Food Force Spotlight series. For us, food is never just fuel. It provides a wide range of nutrients to support the many aspects of our health and also to promote physiological adaptations for our running performance. These short informative episodes are dedicated to food and meal planning. We'll spotlight key foods to support your running and we'll share tips and suggestions to give you big results in your running performance. The suggestions we make during this episode are for guidance and advice only and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Aileen to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. everyone. I'm Karen and I'm here today once again with Aileen. Hi Aileen, how are you? I'm great, thank you. In fact, I could say excellent. I couldn't resist that because since today we are having a food focus on eggs for runners and it's National Egg Day in the USA sometime this week and um, we just thought that it would be a good time to um, publish some information about eggs um so yeah that's that's where I am okay I'll I'll let you off with that pun Aileen (laughs) but I want to say eggs are a great food for runners unless of course you are following a plant-based diet but hopefully even if you are everyone will be interested to find out a bit more about the nutrients in eggs and how they can support our nutrition status generally but also for our running and as you all know I'm a vegetarian so eggs are a real staple part of my weekly food plan and a little factoid for you because as you know I like factoids did you know that actually in the UK alone it's estimated that per consumer we eat 200 eggs each per year it's a lot isn't it if you multiply that by by the population it is quite a lot but I guess I probably eat double that amount (laughs) because I love eggs Um, but we can talk about that later and see if it's an appropriate number to eat. Yes it'll be interesting to see but before we um, go into talking about some specific nutrients Aileen um, linked to eggs could you maybe give us an overview of the general nutritional content of an egg? Yeah, sure. So I've I've taken some information from the British Egg Industry Council. And obviously, you know, eggs come from living hens, so they will all be slightly different. But on average, it would seem that uh, a medium sized egg contains 78 kilocalories, uh, of which um, 6.4 grams are protein, uh, 4.6 grams 
a fat um, of which uh, 1.3 grams is saturated fat. There is only a trace of carbohydrate, almost zero. There's no fiber content in an egg. I, mean, I know this is all, you know, common sense and people will know this. Um, but interestingly, there is a host of vitamins and minerals. Um, so eggs contain vitamin D, which is one of the few dietary sources of vitamin D. A whole range of B vitamins, including uh, B12, B2, B5, B7, B9. So it's almost like a multi-B vitamin mm -hmm. in food. Um, and it includes choline, selenium, iodine, selenium. Oh, I've said selenium twice there, sorry. And uh, and there are, there are lots of other trace uh, vitamins and minerals. And in fact, you know, it pretty much includes everything. Um, but the one thing it doesn't include is vitamin C. And um, this is thought um, to be a sort of an evolutionary thing because hens actually can make vitamin C from glucose in their diet. So um, that's the reason behind the, the thought that that's why vitamin C isn't part of an egg. Um, and then thinking about the, the components of an egg, um, you know, we've got the egg yolk and the egg white. So the egg yolk contains most of the vitamins, minerals, and fat and the protein element of the egg is split between the yolk and the white. Um, so, you know, you're getting different things from different parts of the egg. Yeah, absolutely. It's quite an impressive array of nutrients, actually, in, in one medium sized egg. Um, but let's have a look at what we're going to cover today. We're just going to focus on four of those nutrients that you've spoken about, Aileen, and we'll look at how they may support um, nutrient status and running performance. So the four nutrients that we've picked out to discuss today are protein, fat, choline and B12. So what we'll do is we'll outline the nutritional properties of each and consider how eggs may be added as part of your meal plan and we'll give you some menu ideas as well. And then after that, we'll answer some frequently asked questions. So questions that we often get asked about eggs. So Aileen, let's start by discussing the key nutrient properties of eggs one by one. So can you tell us about the protein content first and how that could support a runner? Yeah, of course. So, um, you know, protein, we all know, is important for a runner and it, it's really helpful to uh, support repair and remodeling of muscle, particularly after endurance runs. Um, it's helpful for energy production, uh, post-recovery. Um, so, you know, maybe having thinking about combining eggs with some carbohydrate after training would be really helpful. And protein is also involved in nitrogen balance. So that helps us to ensure that we're not breaking down muscle faster than we're building muscle. Um, so, uh, yeah, some pretty um, fundamental things that protein does for us. Absolutely. Really key in that sort of muscle building, muscle remodeling and repair, like you say. Um, but could you maybe just as a reminder, tell us um, how much protein we need on average per day? Yes, well, protein intake is something that's debated a lot. And it's a question that we regularly get asked, how much protein should I have? So um, currently, um, the you know general advice would be that if you calculate 1.2 grams to 1.4 grams uh, per kilo of body weight, that would be the protein intake that would be recommended 
per day for athletes. Um, if you're a non-athlete, um, it would be lower than that. So um, it's recommended 0.8 grams to one one gram per kilo of body weight per day. Uh, but, you know, as ever, you know, we need to personalize this. Um, we need to take into account fitness and endurance level and body composition. Um, so so an example would be, say you, you weighed 60 kilograms, you could calculate your protein requirements, say on 1.2 grams per kilogram of body weight. So your target for protein would be 72 grams per day. Um, so you you mentioned or we mentioned somewhere I think it was me that the the egg contains uh, a medium egg contains six point four grams of protein. So you know uh, most people would maybe eat two eggs together, so that would contribute thirteen grams of protein, or it's probably a bit more if you uh, choose a larger egg. Um, so two eggs would work out at eighteen percent of your protein requirements for the day if you were that sixty kilogram person. Um, so it's a you know it's a small um, small amount of food to give you quite a lot of protein I think. Exactly it's quite significant I think 18% from from two eggs and and we do talk about protein in episode two macronutrients when we speak about macronutrients and then again in episode nine when we're talking about bars gels and protein powder so there is lots more information out there in our podcast for everybody to sort of go and review and uh, really listen to if this is something that really interests you. And with regards to eggs, it's interesting to know also that eggs are regarded as a complete protein. So they contain all the nine essential amino acids, which um, we can only get from our diet. So these amino acids, um, we can't make um, uh, via the body and um, and amino acids being the building blocks of protein they're really key for for us as run- well for everybody but um, but very key for us as runners yeah and I think the other thing to to know is that the three branch trained amino acids are included in the essential amino acid list so again we we talk about those in in other episodes so leucine isoleucine and valine um and they're the uh, amino acids that are really um key for um helping triggering the muscle building cascade so that's really important for muscle building and, and the repair cycle too um so yeah that's uh, an extra bonus uh for the egg Absolutely. And these branch chain amino acids actually make up 20% of total amino acids in muscle. Um, and, and when you think that 40% of total body protein is found in muscle, so really significant. And also that they're needed to support um, other crucial functions such as um, reduce, they help to reduce that exercise-induced breakdown of protein. They can re- help reduce the delayed onset so that doms the delayed onset muscle soreness um just thinking about taking taking in some protein pre-exercise that's really going to help support delaying or, or just sort of reducing the doms and also can really um support um recovery so help enhance recovery again having it pre-exercise so um it's about how much you take on board and also the timing when you take it on board. It's really going to support uh, sort of muscle health and um, performance. Mm, And I think that, you know, 
branch chains amino acids, uh, we often think about them when we're, you know, or, you know, in general people will identify with them as something that you would take when you want to increase muscle mass. So often bodybuilders um, are really focused on that and particularly when choosing things like protein powders. Um, but, you know, as, as we've mentioned, you can see that these um, branched chain amino acids really have a, an important role with runners too. Um, and often um, athletes focus on getting them in protein powders, as I mentioned. But I think it's really good to remember that these nutrients are naturally available to us in food. And uh, in actual fact, it, it appears that in a portion of two eggs, you get 3.2 grams of these branched chain amino acids. So it's a small amount, but it will contribute to your overall requirements of the branched chain amino acids. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like we know, it's, it's, it's about the accumulative effect, isn't it? And mm. just ensuring that you're taking on board these branch chain amino acids and these essential uh, amino acids generally throughout the day. Okay, Aileen, great. That's some fantastic information there about the humble egg. Let's move on and talk about the fat content of eggs. What what can you share with us about, about that? Yeah, well, I think I mentioned earlier that all of the fat content in an egg is found in the egg yolk and approximately 9% of an egg is made up of fat. Um, so again, you know, it's quite a significant amount. And I think sometimes people avoid eggs because of the fat content, which is obviously not necessary. You know, it's really important that we have uh, fat as a, a macronutrient, um, and indeed it's a, a source of energy. Um, and what's really um, helpful about fat is it helps absorb uh, vitamins and minerals, which is really important to build cell membranes for every cell and for also the um, the sheath surrounding the nerves and the nervous system. Uh, and fat's also really important for things like blood clotting, muscle movement and, infl and managing inflammation. So everybody needs a, a small amount of good quality fats in the diet every day. And um, the American College of Sports uh, Medicine, they recommend that for athletes, um, you, your energy intake of fat should be between 20 to 35% of your total energy intake. And, and in fact, that's similar to the guidelines for the general public. So, you know, it appears athletes don't need additional fat, um, but we all need some good quality fat um, to, to maintain good health. Exactly. And I think that's absolutely right. It's about make sure, making sure that you take on appropriate amounts of, of fats um, on a regular basis, because, you know, there are many benefits um, for a runner um, having it regularly in their diet. And I'm thinking here about how it's important for speeding up metabolism. It's also important for modulating inflammation, like you were saying, Aileen, protecting against cell damage so that oxidative stress that um, that can occur just as a natural um, byproduct of, of exercise. Um, it's a good energy source. So endurance athletes especially can become very efficient at utilising fat for energy. And, and by doing this, that's really going to help spare the glycogen um, stores because they are limited, as we know, they are a limiting factor. And also um, fat is really key in, in supporting the muscle repair as well as the protein intake. So, so a very key um, ingredient, actually, in, in health, 
and in um, sports performance. Indeed. So, and another thing about the the egg is that it includes different types of fats. So, again, you know, people will be aware of uh, the different categories of fat, but um, it's good to know that in an egg you're getting everything really. Um, so you're getting um, saturated fat. So approximately 28% of an egg is saturated fat. And saturates the fat that is found in animal foods and also in processed foods. Um, 38% of um, an egg is monounsaturated, or 38% of the fat in an egg is monounsaturated fat. And 28% is polyunsaturated fat. And that would include the omega-3 fatty acids, uh, mainly in the form of DHA. And, and again, you know, people will probably remember that DHA is um, the richest source of DHA is usually from oily fish. Um, so to have some DHA in eggs is, is, you know, really useful if you're a non-fish eater. Um, uh, good to know that you're getting uh, some from from your food plan in that way. Um, and we've we've often talked about the anti-inflammatory actions of omega three fatty acids for runners. So again, you know, it's it's going to contribute towards um, you know your anti-inflammatory actions, which would be really helpful. Um, and the other thing is, so we, I think I mentioned it earlier that the fat content of eggs. Um, helps to improve the bioavailability or the absorption um, of some nutrients, particularly fat-soluble nutrients like vitamin A, D, E, and K, and also a couple of nutrients that are very good for eye health, lutein and zyanthin. Um, so, zyanthin, sorry. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, you know, again, doing a lot of good um, by having eggs regularly as part of your food plan. Um Another thing that I sort of, um, I know that this is a slightly controversial topic for people, but hopefully we can clarify a few points is that um, an average egg will also include 177 milligrams of cholesterol. Um, so apparently that's less cholesterol than an egg would have contained 20 years ago. I'm not quite sure why, um, but um, but yeah, it's another um it's another thing that people ask about. So, Karen, maybe you could um, enlighten us a little bit about cholesterol and, and eggs. Absolutely. And like you say, the cholesterol is one of the controversial historical discussion points about eggs. And I know you are going to address this in the frequently asked question section uh, later, Aileen. But just really as a quick overview, like you've asked for, cholesterol it's a fatty substance that occurs naturally in the body, but it does perform some vital functions. You know, it's needed to make the wall surrounding the body's cells. And it's also the basic material that is converted to make hormones. So really important for us as, as midlife women. And um, and the body makes all the cholesterol you need. You you do need some fat in your diet to make it enough cholesterol to stay healthy. So your body will make it, but you still need some from the diet to, to make sure that you've got appropriate levels. And it's all about having appropriate levels, not too much, not, not enough. And sort of high levels of the LDL, so that low density lipoprotein cholesterol, is our link to the to the development of the 
of certain cardiovascular diseases. And that was why, really, there was so much controversy about eating eggs way back in the 70s. But we are going to talk about that a little later. So I'm not going to go into any detail here. So what we'll do now, Aileen, is maybe sort of move on and look at choline and then come back to some of these um, question marks, really, about fat and cholesterol later on. So um, can you maybe tell us how choline can, uh, you know, the nutrient choline can support us as runners? Yeah, well, this, this is really interesting, I think. Um, so choline is um, a nutrient that's used by nerve cells and um, they, they manufacture a, a very closely related chemical called acetylcholine. And acetylcholine allows the nerve cells to communicate with, with each other. So if we translate that to our running, what acetylcholine is doing is it's signaling to our leg leg cell muscles or leg muscle cells um, to move and to run. And what happens is the nerves push small quantities quantities of acetylcholine across small spaces called neuromuscular junctions. And when enough acetylcholine attaches itself to an outer surface of a muscle cell, the muscle cell becomes excited enough to contract and the acetylcholine signals are really vital to keep us moving. So obviously all of this is going on without us knowing it's just something that's happening. Um, but it's interesting because there's, there's a fair bit of um, research about it. And um, it's recommended, you know, from a nutritional point of view, if we ate 500 milligrams of choline a day, that would be um, sufficient, not just for athletes, but for, for everybody. Um, and interestingly, one large egg would give you 27% of your daily requirement, which is really, really Quite interesting. Um, so um, the research um, has really been focusing on um, endurance runners. And um, it's thought that um, if you're an endurance runner running under two hours or up to a half marathon distance that that's not going to affect your blood levels of choline but there was a study done back in uh, 2013 so it's quite old but I think it's still relevant and that study found that trained athletes running um, a marathon um, had reduced plasma choline by approximately 40 percent so what um, they believe is happening is that acetylcholine is broken down inside these neuromuscular junctions during prolonged exercise. So the nerve, the nerve cells have to signal to blood choline to make new acetylcholine. And as a result, your blood choline levels will start to reduce. And if your choline levels fall too far, then the acetylcholine production can pause and as a result, your nerve cells will stop or it'll slow down the stimulation of muscles. And some exercise scientists believe that this could be a contributor to fatigue, um, particularly striking, um, you know, near to the end of a marathon, that those sort of feelings where, you know, you just don't think you've got enough left to keep running. Um, and it's thought that this might be that an underlying reason may be that there isn't enough choline left to keep the acetylcholine in optimal supply. Um, and there's also sort of ongoing research into whether choline supplementation before and during races will solve this potential problem. 
Gosh, that is really fascinating information, isn't it? Because we generally just speak about the carbohydrates and the hydration being the limiting factors and what leads to uh, fatigue at the end of a marathon. But um, but what you're saying is that that potentially this could be a contributing factor as well. But but there are lots of reasons really that could be contributing to fatigue towards the end of a a long distance run. But another good reason, I think, to focus on foundational nutrition to ensure we're always in an optimal nutrition status for our training and racing so that we don't have to think about these individual nutrients. We just know we're getting a wide variety of all of them all of the time. Yeah. Okay, Elaine, let's move on now and have a look at vitamin B12. What can you tell us about B12? Okay, so uh, we need vitamin B12 to um, produce and maintain uh, red blood cells, nerves, and also DNA. Um, And if you're getting too little B12, it can lead to anemia, which is a deficiency in red blood cells, and that can cause you to feel tired and weak so that you know that can affect you in everyday life as well as um, in your your running life Um, and you know particularly vegans are at higher risk of this deficiency um, mainly because um, b12 you know comes from animal foods Um, but um, you know thinking about the signs of b12 people might be wondering well how do i know if i'm if i'm low on B12. So B12 deficiency might include extreme extreme tiredness, lack of energy, weak muscles, maybe a sore tongue, um, feeling that you've got pins and needles um, and um, possibly depression as well. So again, it's one of those areas of deficiency where the symptoms can be also linked to other conditions too so um you know if, if you've experienced any of these it's, it's probably a good idea to get tested and, and know for sure if that's a problem yeah absolutely yeah no, so, no. yeah yeah so um karen would you take us through what you think the impact of a low b12 status would be on a runner yeah, absolutely, Aileen. So when when um, we find that we're maybe not absorbing enough B12 from our food to make the red blood cells, then um, the, the body's oxygen capacity is going to start to decrease along with endurance capacity as well. So you just might find that you can't run for um, as long and as far as maybe you were able to do before and then some some research actually suggests that athletes with poor or marginal nutritional status for b12 may have decreased ability to perform high intensity exercise as well so it's not just about the endurance it's about the intensity of the exercise and also in women specifically higher B12 levels correlate with enhanced athletic performance. Now, this is likely due to um, B12's role in the synthesis of new cells, such as the red blood cells, and also to its role in the repair of damaged cells as the body rebuilds uh, tissue. So that's just sort of some ways that it that it might impact a runner on their health and on their performance. But Aileen, how much B12 do we need and who would you say is at risk of deficiency? You have mentioned the vegans already, but any other groups? 
Yeah, well, thinking about how much B12 we need, um, the recommended dietary allowance for for vitamin B12 is 2.4 micrograms per day uh, for adults, and that's either from food sources or from supplements. Um, You know, we've mentioned, you know, perhaps being a vegetarian or a vegan may put you at risk of being deficient of B12. Um, So B12's... um, you know, mostly found in animal foods, so dairy foods, meat, poultry, fish, and eggs. Um, if if you're in um, a middle age group, i.e., the over fifty age group, you might also be at risk of B12 deficiency. And this is, you know, a natural sort of decline, really, because as we age, um, we're often less able to absorb food bound vitamin. B12 due to declining stomach left, stomach acid levels. So we need stomach acid to be able to um, utilize B12 in the body. So, um, yeah, I suppose, it, you know, if you're following a plant-based um, food plan or you're a mature athlete, um, our advice is to monitor your B12 status by testing it. And if required, use B12 supplements um, I mean, I don't know about you, Karen, but I often find that my clients who are um, vegan, often they are, they do have a good B12 status because it's one of the things they're really conscious of. Um, yeah. And uh, But it's always really worthwhile getting tested just to find, just to find out. Um, yes, it does be the one nutrient that vegans tend to supplement. Um, there might be lots of others that they're, that they're potentially suboptimal in, but not generally B12. Yeah. Mm. So um, we, you know, we've mentioned that the high, well, the animal foods, um, you know, contain B12 and the highest concentration of B12 is found in meat. Um, but uh, a medium egg will provide 1.4 micrograms of B12. Um, and um you know, that's that's a, a positive contribution. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's probably all we need to say about, about B12 for the moment. Well, yeah. well, really, what that's saying, Aileen, if you're having, because um, the, the recommended daily allowance is 2.4 micrograms, if you have your two poached eggs for breakfast, you've got your daily dose. Sure, yeah, that's, that's a really good way of looking at it, Karen, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, so just before we move on and discuss meal and recipe ideas for eggs, which is always the, the, a great part of these um, these episodes, I'm just going to do a quick recap on the nutritional properties that you've you've mentioned and uh, all the information you've given us, Aileen. So, looking at protein first, um, we find out that it provides 6.4 grams of protein. So. Um, per medium-sized egg. Um, And this includes all the essential amino acids, including the branched-chain amino acids, which are, just to to recap, leucine, isoleucine, and valine, which are important for triggering the muscle-building cascade. Then thinking about fat, it is an essential source of energy, um, and it helps absorb fat-soluble vitamins. It also helps to build cell membranes and sheaths surrounding nerves. And it's also essential for blood clotting, muscle movement, and re- um, reducing inflammation. So fats is really important in the diet. It's about the right amounts and the right types. Choline is used by nerve cells to manufacture acetylcholine, which is 
signaling muscle cells to contract and blood choline levels appear to reduce after two hours of endurance running, which may contribute to fatigue in marathon runners. And then finally, we looked at B12 and it has a vital role in producing and maintaining red blood cells, nerves and DNA and deficiency could impact on oxygen capacity as well as endurance ability. Okay, Aileen, so before we we move on, shall we just take um, a quick advert break? Yeah, sure. So um, today I thought um, I'd talk to everybody and just remind you about something uh, that we've got coming up in the next few weeks. Um, so as you, as you know, at Runners Health Hub, we always end our, our episodes by saying, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Uh, but we also know that strength, balance and flexibility are equally important to a runner's performance and form. Uh, and that's why we, we really jumped at an opportunity uh, to collaborate with um, our good friend Janet um, at Sunderland Pilates Studio. And we did that to bring you an online and live workshop. So we're inviting you to spend two hours with us uh, from either the comfort of your home or if it's a sunny evening, uh, maybe from your garden. And uh, we're going to be... Um, presenting you with a workshop called Better Running with Pilates and Nutrition. Um, so, you know, Janet's taking a couple of sessions and we're taking a couple of sessions within that um, two-hour slot. Um, so the first session is all about food for uh, running up to a 10K level. Um, we're going to be talking about some simple tweaks you can make to the foods you eat and when you eat them to help you run faster and get a better time. Um, Janet's going to be um, talking and, and demonstrating uh, to you about um, how you can look after your feet and, and she's calling that the flexible foot workshop. Um, so it's really important that our feet are, are looked after and they'll help us to, um, you know, improve our performance. We'll then go on to talk about food for half marathons and distances above half marathons so what you're eating before during and after your long training runs and um, we're going to really focus on maintaining energy and an emphasis on what to eat when to eat and how much to eat and then finally uh, we're going to do a session with Janet on um, activating your core. Now, this is, I think, really important um, and Janet's going to be helping us to um, know how to switch on core muscles and indeed you know for some of us is to know what our core muscles are you know we talk about the core uh, but what actually is it and yeah. um, uh, there's more to it than just the core I'm sure um, and Janet's going to be teaching us some simple and effective core strengthening um, exercises uh, that we can do specifically to help our running so I think it's uh, it's going to be a really fun um, session it's on the 30th of June uh, we really hope lots of you will will join us. We'll put a link in the show notes um, so you can check out the um, the booking link. And uh, we hope to see as many of you there as possible. So uh, I would just say, you know, make it part of your sum summer race prep. You know, we've all started to sign up for races, and I'm sure um, doing some extra. Pilates and fine-tuning your nutrition will be exactly what you need to help you with your races in the summer. 
Absolutely. I have to say, I'm looking forward to the workshop as well, Aileen, and learning learning more from Janet about how Pilates can support running and strength and performance. So, okay, thanks for that. Now let's move on and um, share some recipes and menu ideas on how eggs may be added as part of your meal plan, everybody. So I think... I think we've made a really strong case for eggs to be uh, nutritionally included in a runner's food plan, actually. But what are the practical considerations for using eggs as a staple part of our food plan? Can you enlighten us, Aileen? Yeah, well, you know, I think eggs are the ultimate fast food. You know, they're so quick and easy to make. Um, You can make them into a, a meal for any time of the day. So they're great for breakfast, lunch or supper. They can be a fabulous snack too. Um, I think most people find that eggs are fairly easy to digest. So you can eat them, you know, one to two hours ahead of uh, a run or some exercise or before bedtime. Um, you know, so they're, they're a, a useful thing to have. And I certainly always have eggs in my fridge ready for some cooking action. Um, and, you know, I think that's, uh, that's my, my view on eggs. It's, it's healthy fast food. Yeah, I would agree with that, Aileen. I've always got eggs in the house. And if I'm not going to be around and Ellie's got to make her own dinner, it's always egg-based because <laughs> of her as well. It's quick and easy, but at least I know she's having something nutritious as well. Mm. Um, yeah, so so like you, I do eat eggs often and um, I think I find them just so quick and easy and lots of different ways, easy and quick ways to cook eggs like poaching them scrambling them or um, even an omelette is quick to make and and I do like to add some extras as well just to make it more of a substantial meal so um, so I thought we could maybe share some of our ideas so and I'm thinking about how I like to to use eggs and my favorite way of cooking them is to poach them and great to have on toast and my my favorite type of bread is either rye bread or sourdough bread and I'll often serve that with um, avocado or roasted tomatoes or maybe both actually and then the eggs on top um and it's so quick and easy, but also nutritious and colourful as well. Mm. Um, but how about you, Aileen? How do you like to serve your eggs? Yeah, well, I, I love poached eggs too. I think they're my favourite type of uh, cooking of, with eggs. Um, and usually what I'll do is I'll serve with some wilted spinach and some mushrooms. And um, maybe instead of toast, I'll sometimes use slices of cooked sweet potato um because you know not everybody you know sometimes you you're thinking well I don't need to have as much bread so but it's finding something else from a carbohydrate point of view that will go with it um and then the, my other thing that I'll do is I'll I'll make some steamed asparagus or broccoli and I'll put the eggs on top of that so that's again really nice I love eating green vegetables with eggs um, of any type Um, so that's what I I tend to do with my poached eggs Um, but I'll also another sort of regular um, breakfast item for me is is a green scrambled eggs Um, so what I'll do there is I'll saute some spring onions some spinach some garden peas so they're all things that I always have in um, and then I'll 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 scramble the eggs with with those vegetables. And again, that's just a really nice, quite filling um, breakfast for me. 
Yeah, absolutely. I really like that idea of green scrambled eggs. And and I wouldn't keep that for breakfast either. You know, I, I that potentially could be quite a good lunch or a light evening meal as well, depending on what your training schedule is. Um, but I recently I, I discovered scrambling eggs with some turmeric. So just cooking the turmeric in some coconut oil and then adding the eggs. And what I like to do is then um, add some mushrooms as well, because it just gives it a really lovely flavor. So that's something new that I've um, I've discovered. And then omelets as well are a really great way of having a substantial brunch or even a supper dish again. And um, you know, you can add fillings um, from just about anything from the fridge, really. So a really good way of using up leftovers um, or or having it and having it alongside um, a big substantial salad. So great ideas. And then another favourite of mine is making a frittata. So they tend to be baked in the oven and like omelettes, you can really use lots of different vegetables so you can layer your vegetables in a baking dish like cooked potatoes roasted vegetables and there I'm thinking about peppers onions tomatoes courgettes mushrooms they all work well together but really whatever vegetables um you like just put them together then add the beating eggs and just bake them in the oven so really easy to make cook themselves while you go off and make your salad or whatever and then um Slices can be eaten hot um, in the evening for your evening meal. And then you could have sort of the rest of it cold the following day for lunch. Also really great for picnics. Or also when people start going back into the office again, taking for work lunches or having as a as a snack. So lots of ideas with, with eggs. Yeah, yeah, I think frittatas are, are great. Um, mm. And I, I, another sort of uh, mini version of a frittata is an egg muffin. So you make them in a similar way, but you bake them in muffin tray. So you get individual muffins and they're great to have stacked up in the fridge or the freezer. Um, and they're a great protein rich snack. And I actually uh, shared a recipe with a client and she now makes big batches she's got quite a big family and she makes batches and they're in the fridge and you know the kids of various different ages just go by the fridge and mm-hmm. help themselves and uh, she can hardly keep the keep up with them um so they're they're a really nice thing to do um and that reminds me that you know the simplest egg snack of all is a hard-boiled egg um so they're really easy to eat and to travel uh with um so you could add a boiled egg to a salad um that's a, another great way of just adding some extra protein so you know if, if you're somebody who's a bit concerned about are you getting enough protein adding an egg to a salad or part of a side dish would be uh, a way of upping your protein level uh, and i've noticed there's lots of delis and cafes that, that will sell a couple of hard-boiled eggs in a pack as a snack so it's an easy thing to grab and go if you're out and about and you need to uh, buy a healthy snack you know maybe for lunch or on the way home um so don't forget to boil your eggs that's yes. what i'm saying <laughs> so so thinking uh, you know but you were saying earlier about making more substantial um, egg dishes do you have any favorite recipes for lunch or supper karen 
Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. All of the above that we've spoken about already, you know, I would use that potentially as a as a lunch or a dinner. But one of my all-time favourites is huevos rancheros. Now, this is um, a Spanish or South American speciality that it, I think is just really tasty. Um, it does take a little bit more time to make, so one maybe to consider for the weekend. Um, but all you have to do is chop some garlic, fresh chili peppers and red bell peppers and place them in a frying pan along with a, a can or preferably a jar, if you can get them, of tomatoes or passata. And just let this simmer gently until it becomes really thick and fragrant. And then chop some cherry tomatoes into the sauce, then make a couple of wells, crack your eggs into them, season with salt and pepper, then just put the lid on and let the eggs cook. And voila, you've got a really nice sort of um, light lunch or supper uh, ready to go. So that would be, I think, my my um, all time favourite, Aileen. Yeah, I mean, that would that would work well for breakfast too if uh, yeah. if you had enough time to make it uh, and it sounds a little bit like a, a middle eastern dish um called uh, shashuka which uh, has similar um, base ingredients but it's flavored with some spices so things like coriander paprika cumin and cayenne and and again you bake the eggs on on the top of the tomato vegetable mix um which then that's really nice and i also do something similar uh with lentils um so it's a tomatoey lentil base uh with baked eggs um and that's a really nice um sort of supper dish uh, if you want something a bit warmer and a bit more um substantial and i think that might be a persian uh, recipe so um it's interesting to see that um all these countries have come up with their own version yeah. of the tomato and eggs baked dish isn't it absolutely we're going around the world here and and also when i was on holiday one time i tried turkish eggs now that's a combination of natural yogurt flavored with garlic chili and herbs and then topped with poached eggs and again you could serve that with salad or green veggies so another variation on the egg based egg themes so or poached eggs with, with that one but I suppose you could potentially um, bake the eggs as well so Aileen what suggestions would you have for the people who aren't keen on eating an egg but don't mind it cooked in other dishes have you got any ideas? Yeah, I think that's uh, it's a good question, Karen, because a lot of people do say, oh, no, I couldn't possibly eat an egg. Um, but I don't mind if they're hidden in, in something. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it's um, important to think about some ideas for these people. So, I mean, eggs tend to be part of baked goods, um, but they're also part of foods or dishes, which... Um, you know, would be considered a treat. So like cakes, so something to be enjoyed occasionally. Um, you know, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a cake, but I, and I always say have have something that's got really good quality ingredients in. So at least it's nutritionally um, giving you something rather than just going for the white sugary cakes mm-hmm. that, that aren't really healthy. So, you know, go for something that's got nice healthy ingredients in. So having eggs would be great there. Um, But having said that, you know, there are some um, other recipes that we've shared in the past that might be of interest to people. And one that's um, springing to mind is the cheesy flapjacks, um, which people seem to really like. And it's it's a savory flapjack. It's made with uh, porridge oats, eggs, 
and grated cheese. And if you if you're avoiding dairy, you could put non dairy uh, grated cheese in. Um, and I sometimes add extra flavors like sun dried tomatoes or herbs, and then you uh, bake them in the oven. And you know, just slice them up and eat them as a savory snack. Or if you want something more substantial, you could spread some hummus on the top, or maybe you know some other kind of um, spread. Um, so that's that's a nice one. Mm. Um, another one that um, I find that people really enjoy is making a banana and egg pancake for breakfast. Um, so you know, again, it's not like having a an egg yolk, a runny egg yolk, but people find a pancake is good. And um, so doing that would be nice. Um, and then other things that I make are, I do these um, flaxseed rolls. So the main ingredients are ground flaxseed with beaten eggs and seeds, and you make them into a batter and um, you make them into bread rolls, basically. So it's a high protein, gluten-free alternative to a bread roll. Um, and they, they're not difficult to make. Um, again, it's another way of getting your eggs in. Um, so thinking about those flaxseed rolls, that sort of reminded me, Karen, of a recipe that you shared with me a few years ago, uh, which I really enjoy. And it's uh, Danish Stone Age bread. Oh, gosh, yes, Aileen, I remember that. In fact, you know, you've reminded me that I haven't made that for ages. And it is a really nice, um, protein rich bread with eggs in it. And, um, you know, I used to make it a lot. But like I say, I haven't recently. And but that's made with ground flaxseed, and then um, adding some chopped almonds and walnuts, pumpkin seeds, sunflower seeds, and then binding that with the eggs and olive oil. And, um, it's it, you just pop it in like a loaf tin and bake it and and once it's baked it is really dense so you just need very thin slices a bit like rye bread and then again I actually like to toast it just toast it lightly under the grill and then um have whatever topping you want be it avocado I really like um, hummus I like on it as well and I might have extra eggs on top just depending on when what time of the day I'm having it so um, so lots and and lots of ideas so um, hopefully everybody will will be inspired to go into the kitchen and, and cook with some eggs so Aileen shall we just move on now and finally ask uh, answer some of the frequently asked questions that we get uh, regarding eggs yeah let's so uh, okay so I'll ask you um this the first question so uh, I just wondered how many eggs should we eat per week you know are there any health risks to um eating them every day yeah, well, as we, we mentioned earlier, there was a lot of discussion about the potential risks of overeating eggs um, in past past years. You know, mainly it seems to be sort of in the 70s, but it's amazing how these kind of discussions, you know, 30, 40 years later are still being had. Mm-hmm. And, and the discussion was really around how eggs may contribute to high cholesterol levels. So research late in the 1960s suggested that cholesterol-rich foods may elevate blood cholesterol, and that might increase the risk of coronary heart disease. So that was the the big worry. And um, what has been found in subsequent years or decades is that this research was weak because it didn't take into account other variables um, 
that of the people that they were uh, researching, the people that were part of the studies. And so, for instance, they didn't take account of what other foods they they were eating, and did they have any other pre existing um, high LDL cholesterol levels? So, you know, they were focusing just on eggs when actually there was a lot of reasons that people might have high cholesterol levels. Um, but there've been a lot more studies in in the last twenty years to. Um, give us some more informed information. And, you know, from what I've read, the, it, it seems that um, the general, for the general population, there's no longer a need to limit egg consumption. Um, you know, you, you can eat, um, you know, a, a moderate amount of eggs and not, not be concerned about it. So research uh, suggests that one to two eggs daily can be consumed with no effect to um, endothelial function or total cholesterol. Um, so that, that's good news. Um, mm -hmm. you know, cause that fits in with people having one or two eggs a day, maybe for breakfast or another meal. Um, it, it has been found that for certain individuals, so people that have been diagnosed with diabetes or with high cholesterol levels or with hypercholesterolemia, which is, um, a sort of a familial uh, condition um, that um, they might be at risk if they um, have an egg consumption exceeding seven a week. Um, and that there's another um, organization, um, Heart UK, who um, they, they're quoted, uh, looked at their website and they were quoting um, from a, one of their doctors that they felt that people in that category should restrict their egg intake to two to four a week. So basically, you know, for most of us, um, having, you know, six, seven, eight eggs a week is going to be fine. But if you fall into one of these health categories, you might want to reduce your egg consumption slightly. Um, and I think really the summary is that, um, you know, Take this advice, but be advised by your health practitioner if you've got any particular concerns. Um, and, you know, and as a nutritional therapist, we, you know, we always advise people to have a varied diet. So it's a good idea to choose other foods as well as eggs. And, you know, uh, it's well documented. I love my eggs for breakfast and, and I would eat them every day for breakfast. But I do have this little voice in my head saying, Aileen, that's just eating the same things all the time. You have to, you know, eat something different. So I do make a conscious effort to, you know, choose other breakfasts and maybe only have eggs four times a week and try to have other things on other days uh, just to uh, keep my diet varied, really. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so that's um, that's what we think about cholesterol. I don't think anybody needs to be overly worried about it. Um, but uh, Karen, are there, are there any other benefits to eating eggs that um, maybe we've not already talked about? Yeah, I think there's there's lots of different benefits and and quite a lot of research actually um, into the nutritional value of eggs. Um, I'm thinking here of um, sort of regular egg consumers. They do appear to have a higher intake of all nutrients, and that would make sense considering what you were saying at the beginning, Aileen. You know that an egg is a really nutrient dense food, um, and really the only exceptions would be um, the vitamin B6 and dietary fiber and also the vitamin c that you mentioned as well because the um that they're not in eggs because they can produce it that the hens can produce it themselves um so um in a study 
by uh, Song and Kerver. This is way back in, in 2000, so quite an old, an old study. It was found that cholesterol levels were overall lower among frequent egg consumers. So um, so that's a really interesting fact uh, um, following on from what you were speaking about regarding cholesterol, Aileen. Yeah, and I think, Karen, that was because it, it appears that people that have eggs in their food plan tend to eat less of other foods that may contribute to a higher cholesterol. So they tend to eat um, diff- less other animal foods. I yes. think that was the background to that study. Yes. Uh, that's an interesting fact, isn't it? So they're mm. choosing eggs maybe over red meat or something like yeah. that. Yeah. It takes low, or, or rather than processed foods. Mm. Yeah. And, and there's also emerging evidence that suggesting eggs may be beneficial for satiety so keeping people fuller for longer therefore helping with weight control and also um, overall eye health as well um so Aileen another question for you moving on um somebody has asked I did a food intolerance test a few years ago and I was told I should eliminate eggs from my diet should I do this forever or can I add eggs back in to my diet as I miss eating them? What would be your recommendation? Yeah, well, I mean, I think eggs, are they are regarded as a common allergen and sometimes they can be identified as a food intolerance uh, when people have an IgG food intolerance test. Um, and people often will take a food intolerance test if they're concerned about investigating various symptoms. So there can be things like digestive symptoms, skin complaints, headaches, fatigue. Um, you know, it's often a sort of a typical go-to test. I'm not entirely sure that I, I mean, I certainly don't recommend them as a as something that people should do all the time. I'm more in favor of um, analyzing somebody's situation and suggesting if, if that's really what is required. Mm. Um, but when, you know, when often people will come to me uh, and they'll, you know, they'll already, they'll have had a, an IgG antibody test and that may have identified reactions to specific food and drinks that they're consuming. Um, and, and generally what happens with food intolerance is that they're, they're linked to a compromised digestive system. And that means that you're not digesting foods effectively and the immune system will react to the, those foods and that will be the thing that's causing the symptoms. So, um, you know, identifying that a food that you, you're reacting to through these tests will of, will often direct people to remove those foods from their food plan. And that, you know, does dampen down the symptoms and it may make them feel better. Um, but we always, you know, as nutritionists would recommend that, you know, that's part of the process to um, healing yourself. But it's also important to investigate and resolve the digestive issues, which are at the root of the issue. Um, and it may be that after a few weeks or months, you might be able to reintroduce this specific food. So, you know, it might be eggs, it could be dairy, it could be gluten, there could be a whole host of different um, foods that, um, you know, affect people in different ways. Um, and so the advice then would be to reintroduce in small quantities, monitor reaction, and, um, you know, under guidance, a nutritional therapist would be able to help you um, decide whether it's um, something that you could tolerate again. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd say try a small amount to begin with, build it up slowly. Um, and if the symptoms come back, consult with a nutritional therapist and they'll be able to 
to help you. Oh. Yeah. And I think that's really good advice there, Aileen. But I just want to clarify to everybody that we're, that we're actually discussing eggs as an intolerance, which is distinct from an allergy. If you've actually been diagnosed with an IgE, so the immunoglobulin E allergy, you, you don't want to be reintroducing that food because it will trigger a, an immune reaction. Again, that is a true allergy rather than an intolerance. So just bear that in mind. But Ailey, just a final question for you. Um, somebody said, there are so many choices of eggs to buy. What is the healthiest? And that's probably a very big question, actually, although it's a short one. Yeah, it's a very big question. Um, and, um, you know, I, I knew ahead of time that you were going to ask me this question, Karen. So I've done a little bit of reading around it. And it is very uh, this is a big topic, and it's an, uh, but it is a very important question, uh, and it's important for all foods, not just eggs, but, but particularly, you know, thinking about eggs, we need to think about, um, you know, if we're going to buy the best quality, it's the reason behind that is to ensure the best nutritional value. So I think the question that uh, has been posed is really important. Um, but thinking about um, eggs, it really starts with having healthy hens. So it's all about how the hens are bred, how they're looked after, what they eat, um, how they live. And that will dictate um, whether the the egg that you're choosing is of the highest nutritional quality. And um, there there's just so much information out there. And, and what I'll do is uh, in the show notes, we'll We'll list some of the links. And I've just looked at the UK. But, you know, if you're listening in other parts of the world, your country, no doubt, will have um, other industry regulators and information from reputable suppliers that you can check out. Um, so, you know, I've looked at things like the RSPA have an assured animal welfare scheme. Uh, there's a consortium called Laid in Britain Eggs. Uh, there's the egg um, information um, body that uh, covers lots of different um, areas. Um, so I think that, you know, one of the things to think about when you're in the supermarket choosing your eggs or wherever you buy your eggs is to understand the labeling. And, and I think this is where there's a lot of confusion Um so I'll try to make this as concise as possible. Um, but in the UK, eggs are classified in different ways. So and it, there's a numbering system. So zero means organic, um, one means free range, two means barn, and three means cage. So um, I don't think you'll see many people selling um, cage, uh, but you will see all these others in the supermarket. So uh, basically, um, you know, from what I can gather, the um, it's all about, as I said earlier, how how many hens are living together, how they're allowed to live, are they allowed to live in a natural way and perform natural functions, or are they in a farm situation? Um, so with the organic, they they're the sort of the you know the the gold version. If you want to choose the best eggs, choose organic, and organic hens will always be free range, and and relatively speaking. Uh, there are a few hens per square meter, so the the guidance seems to be that for square for a square meter of usable living area, there will only be six hens, and there'll be a maximum flock of three thousand birds. 
which still seems quite a lot to me. But, um, you know, so you're going to have a big farm if you've got 3,000 birds. Um, and then if you um, are buying free-range hens, uh, what you'll know or have assurance there is that the hens um, have got a, a reasonably high level of quality of life. So they've got continuous daytime access to runs which are covered in vegetation and the vegetation is important because it gives the birds an opportunity to forage and, and, and eat what they want to eat um i don't know about the the size of this but it, what i've read is that um there is a maximum stocking density of two and a half thousand birds per hectare i don't even know how big a hectare is so i've got <laughs> i really don't know what that means but we can only assume that the people are putting these regulations in place feel that that's safe um and there's lots of different conditions for free-range hens about how they're kept and there's a maximum stocking density of nine hens per square meter um so that's um a little bit higher than the organic um so it seems that organic and free-range we we can feel that that's quite a safe place mm. uh, when we get into looking at barn kept hens or cage kept hens not quite so good so you know when you hear about a, a barn eggs or barn hens you think this sounds quite romantic doesn't it um, but actually it's not romantic at all so it means that these hens um, are kept indoors and um, they will be exposed to electric light up to 16 hours a day and this is to prolong the amount of time that they aren't sleeping basically um so that's a bit alarming i think yeah. and, and also the thing that i found quite a bit upsetting and is that a barn may have four floors um and may hold up to six thousand birds so you know our romantic vision of a farm barn isn't the same in this instance aileen just to interrupt there and ask you you were saying that they have um, electric light, light for 16 hours a day so it's depriving them of sleep is this to encourage them to lay more is that yeah right? yeah I, I guess so yeah and I mean it says up to 16 hours so it might not be the case always but um you know that seems to be the way it is and you know I've I've as you know Karen I, I stay with uh, on a friend's farm you know for a holiday every year and they have hens and um when I'm there, it's during the summer and the hens do like being out in the daylight. Sometimes you like waiting for them to go to bed. Uh, you know, we're like really tired saying, can't the hens go to bed so yeah. that we can lock them up because they do like being out in the daylight. And in the summer when it's light at night time, that's their normal way of doing it. But obviously, you know, like everybody, we work in the seasons, don't we? We don't want to be having a that sort of um, all the time. So, yeah. Yes. yeah. So then uh, moving on to, um, the cage farms. I'm not going to go through all of this, actually, um, that all the information I've got. But basically, the idea is that, um, you know, that it, it's a, a more farmed situation. And in recent years, the UK battery cages have been replaced. So they have been improved um, and uh, they're replaced by larger, what they call enriched colony cages. And the enriched colony um, uh, cages are designed to uh, look after the birds in a better way, giving them more space and more room to move around the con colony. Um, and, but what, what they find is that birds tend to sleep on perches 
and they lay eggs in nest boxes. And, and that's one of the most important um, things that hens need, um, the most be- important behavioral needs for a hen. Um, and then once they've laid the, um, the egg in the nesting box, uh, they then roll onto a conveyor belt and um, they're out of reach of the birds and they await collection, uh, you know, from from whoever's managing that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's um, that's the labelling situation. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a huge topic, and you know, if it's something that people are interested in, there is a lot of information to read out there, and uh, it probably will um, dictate uh, how you want to. Uh, buy your eggs so i mean i'm i'm definitely compelled to only buy organic and Mm -hmm. i mean from a a quality point of view you know if you there's the animal welfare and there's knowing that um you know the hens are well looked after but often i don't know your experience if i've you know if i've had to buy eggs it's what i would call a supermarket egg that's not so good you know straight away you know that the egg white particularly is weak when you cook it yeah. and that's to me a sign that the egg's not maybe as good quality as it needs to be mm-hmm. um and it's interesting another little factoid that i read about was of the you know round about 12 billion eggs eaten in the uk in in 2015 only two percent were organic really? um, yeah so you know there's um i mean i guess it's it's difficult to farm organic hens um so i know they are more expensive but now we know why really yes Um, so so i think free range is better than barn or caging but it might not guarantee the highest uh standards um of welfare for hens uh nor the healthiest options for ourselves really yeah absolutely and gosh it's yeah i have to say it's really interesting information but also really sobering too and and just makes you think about um the 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 welfare of the hens and also the quality of the eggs that are being produced so real food for thought here for all of us i think um but but can you go on and maybe tell us um something about what hens are fed because that's going to be important as well. Yeah, it's really important. And um, it's not easy to find. Um, I, I did find some information from the Soil Association website. Um, and w- what they say is that to have Soil Association um, accreditation, um, organic hens need to be fed on non-GM grain or feed. And that encouraged uh, the hens are encouraged to forage outdoors and that means that they get to eat a variety of plants grubs and insects and that adds variety to the diet and keeps them healthy Um, also they they ban the routine use of antibiotics Um, so it means that hens can't be fed antibiotics as a preventative measure to stop them getting ill and instead they can only be used to treat hens if they do get ill um, but with regards to what other hens get fed, um, it's not easy to find. I, I couldn't really find any yeah. easily available information. Um, that's good news to hear about the organic hens and that mm. and and only if they need it. And 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 sort of moving on from that, Aileen, you know, these days in in the shops, you'll see that some egg eggs advertise omega three enriched eggs. How do they achieve that? Yeah, well, it appears it appears that what um, when when people are advertising um, 
that they have omega-3 enriched eggs that they will be feeding their hens with um, feed that includes omega-3 sources such as things like flaxseed and chia feed and that'll be in the food mix that's given to the hens uh, and some brands also advertise that their eggs are fortified with extra vitamin d uh, but again i can't you know and i've looked at quite a lot of different brands and i've not been able to see the specific amount of these nutrients on product labels so it's difficult to assess how much they contribute um mm. But, you know, you can only assume that if they're saying that they're doing it, that they are, but how much their food is enriched by, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So really, from all of this information, our our best advice for everybody is to buy your eggs from really a reputable farmer or egg supplier and that um and that way you'll be really reassured of the quality and the nutritional status of your eggs so if you're able to do that and you can afford to do that then really that would be our advice from all of this um so Aileen I think we're going to have to take this to a prompt end because it's been it's been really fascinating I think this subject um but I I am really conscious of time so just before we wrap up could you just give us the the key takeaways um, regarding um, today's um, topic? Yeah, well, what I'll do is I'll just focus on the nutrients, Karen, because this has been a a mega (laughs) conversation. And uh, who knew there was so much to say about eggs? Um, I didn't believe it myself, but here we are. So the the nutrients that we've focused on today that are included in eggs are protein, fat, choline, and B12. Um, so protein is really important to ensure the adequate intake of all the essential amino acids, especially the branch chain amino acids. And for a runner, that's going to help reduce the risk of energy injury and also support muscle recovery and um, building of muscle. Um, and that's going to be really important for um building muscle after endurance runs, for energy production, post-recovery, and for nitrogen balance. Uh, When we were talking about fat, we were reminding everybody that fat's an essential source of energy. Um, It helps absorb fat-soluble vitamins. It builds cell membranes and sheaths surrounding uh, nerves. And it also, for a runner, is really important for metabolism to help modulate inflammation, to protect against cell damage post-exercise, um, we've mentioned that it's a good energy source and it's really also important for muscle repair. Um, the next nutrient that we talked about was choline, and that's really there to, protect, to support the production of acetylcholine. And its role is important for signaling muscle cells to contract. And particularly if you're an endurance runner uh, running more than two hours, particularly for marathon runners, it appears that blood choline levels uh, may reduce um, during that length of running. So our recommendation is that you make sure that you have adequate amounts of choline as part of your foundational plan uh, to support that. Uh, And finally, B12 has a vital role in producing and maintaining red blood cells, nerves and DNA any de- deficiency in runners may impact on oxygen capacity and endurance ability. And um, we'd always recommend that you get your B12 status checked uh, before you supplement. Um, so, yeah, lots of good ideas today about how to add eggs into your food plan and some insights into choosing eggs from yeah, reputable farmers and suppliers 
And remember, a healthy hen will produce an egg of high nutritional value. And um, that concludes us for today, Karen. Great. Thanks, Aileen. I think there's a huge amount of food for thought from this um, from this episode today. And we also hope that you're all feeling inspired to try some of our food recipes. And if you would like any of the um, uh, the recipes that we've spoken about, do drop us an email or giant, join our Facebook group, um, Easy Nutrition for Healthy Runners Hub. And finally, don't Remember, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode and feel inspired to try out some new menu ideas. Many of our clients are looking for new ways to help them introduce a healthy food plan, which also supports their running performance. So we designed our Easy Nutrition for Healthy Runners program, and it's for runners of all abilities. We take you through a series of short videos and action steps to help you create a food plan to suit your running training. The program includes downloadable menu ideas, food lists, meal plans and athlete plate diagrams for different training levels. And you get the added bonus of being invited to free online trainings and Q&As with Aileen and Karen. So you'll always have the opportunity to get some personal input into your runner's nutrition plan. Please check out the program at runnershealthhub.com or if you've got any questions, just drop us an email at hello at runnershealthhub.com. We'd love to see you join us on the program. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, for women's changing bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialling wearing their range for a few months and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases. Mm-hmm.